Chapter 13 of Baseball How to Become a Player. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elise D. Baseball How to Become a Player by John Montgomery Ward. Chapter 13 The Base Runner. Of the four departments of play, batting, base running, fielding and battery work the most interesting is base running it is the most skillful it calls into play the keenest perception and the soundest judgment it demands agility and speed and it requires more daring courage and enthusiasm than all the others combined its importance as a factor in winning games cannot be estimated we only know that a team of base runners wins game after game in which it is outbatted and outfielded by its opponents no system of scoring has been or can be devised by which a full record of this kind of work can be kept the system now in vogue crediting the number of bases stolen is all right so far as it goes but it covers only a small part of the ground stealing bases is a part of base running but it is a very small part and to say that the player who steals the most bases is therefore the best base runner is an altogether unwarranted statement a quick starter, speedy runner, and clever slider might easily steal the most bases, and yet, in general usefulness, fall far behind some other player. Beginning with the more mechanical features, the first qualification for a base runner is the ability to start quickly. The distances on a ball field have been laid out with such marvelous nicety that every fraction of a second is valuable. Almost every play is close, and the loss of an instant of time is often the loss of the opportunity. But to start quickly means more than a quick action of the muscles. It means also that the brain and body must act together. The base runner who must wait to be told what to do will always be too late. By the time the coacher has seen the point and called to the runner and the latter has gotten himself into action, the chance is long past. The player must be able to see the play himself and act upon it instantly without waiting to be told. Different runners adopt different methods for getting a long start from a base. Some take as much ground as possible before the pitch and then start the moment they see the first motion to deliver. Others stand near the base and when they think it about time for the pitcher to pitch, they make a start. If they happen to guess all right, they get a running start, which is, of course, a great advantage. And if they guess wrong, the pitcher is so taken by surprise that it is always possible to return to the base before he can throw. Of these two methods, I prefer the latter. Remaining near the base disarms suspicion, and the runner is not tired out by repeated feints to throw on the part of the pitcher. In either case, the practice of standing with the feet wide apart is altogether wrong and in violation of every principle of quick starting. Unlike a sprinter, a base runner must be in shape to start in either direction, and this can be done best and quickest by standing upright with the feet almost together. A second qualification is speed. While, as before said, mere speed will not make a base runner in the full sense of the term, yet other things being equal, the fastest runner will be the better base runner. Straightaway running is something to which all ball players do not devote sufficient attention. While, to a certain extent, it is a natural gift, yet every man can improve himself greatly by practice, and if the spring training of players included more of this work, the result would certainly be an improvement in the base running. 
Notwithstanding the importance of starting and running and sliding, there is absolutely no attention given to these matters and, consequently, the majority of players seem to be entirely ignorant of the proper form. It would be a good investment for some clubs to employ a professional sprinter to teach their men how to stand, in order to start quickly, and how to put one foot in front of the other in the approved form. An important aid also to successful base running is the knack of sliding well. A player skillful in this respect will often save himself when he seems caught beyond escape. Every runner should know how to slide if he expects to accomplish anything at all, and every man will slide who has the proper interest in his work. Some players do not do so because they have never learned and are afraid to try, while others seem to care so little for the team's success that they are unwilling to take the chances of injury to themselves. As for the former class, a half-hour's practice on sawdust or soft earth will show them how easily it is learned, and as for the latter, they should be made to slide, even if it be found necessary to persuade them through their pockets. Sliding, as an art, is of recent growth, though it has long been the practice of base runners to drop to avoid being touched. In view of its present importance, it is amusing to read in an article written on the subject some years ago an argument against the practice indulged in by a few players of sliding to the base in order to avoid being touched by the ball. The old style of sliding was with the feet foremost, but there are now various methods employed. Many runners now slide head foremost, throwing themselves flat on the breast and stomach. Some keep to the baseline and slide direct for the base, while others throw the body and legs out of the line and reach for the base with a hand or foot. Among those who always slide feet first and direct for the base, Hanlon is the most successful. He doesn't go down until quite close to the base, and then does not at all slacken his speed. Connor also slides feet foremost, but instead of throwing himself at full length, he maintains a sitting posture, and each of his slides is the signal for a laugh from the crowd. On account of his size and the weight behind his spikes, he is always given the entire baseline without dispute. Williamson is a very successful slider. He runs at full speed until near the base, then throws his body away from the baseman and his feet at the base. The successful runners who slide flat on the stomach are Fogarty, Tiernan, Miller, Andrews, Brown, and others. Of those who go in head foremost but throw the body out of the line and away from the baseman are Ewing, Glasscock, Pfeiffer, Dalrymple, and some others. An expert base runner will confine himself to no particular style, but, being familiar with all, will use, in each instance, the one best suited. Sometimes one style is best and sometimes another, depending upon where the ball is thrown and the position of the baseman. I consider Kelly the best all-around slider in the league because he can, and does, use every style with equal freedom. The American Association has some of the finest runners in Nickel, Latham, Stovey, Purcell, and many others, but I have, unfortunately, not seen enough of their work to speak accurately of their methods. Though stealing bases is only a part of base running, yet even this requires considerable skill, and it is by no means always the fastest runner who succeeds the oftenest. Much depends on the start, and much, too, on the slide. I may be permitted to outline my own method. 
Having reached first, I signal to the next batter when I am going to steal. Then, standing near the base, well upright and with my feet together, I try to get a running start on the pitcher. That is, when I think he is about to pitch, though yet he has made no motion, I make my start if he does pitch i get all the ground that i would have had by playing off the base in the first place and i have besides the advantage of being on the move every one who knows anything of sprinting will appreciate the advantages of such a start if the pitcher does not pitch i usually manage to return to the base in safety having secured my start i expect that the batter will hit the ball if it is a good one into right field in which case i will keep right on to third base or if it is a bad ball the batter will at least hit at it in order if possible to blind the catcher and help me out in any event i put down my head and run direct for the base and in no case do i attempt to watch the ball it is a foolish and often fatal mistake for a runner to keep his head turned toward the catcher while running in another direction if the ball is hit i listen for the coacher's direction but if it is not i keep my eye on the baseman and by watching his movements the expression of his face and the direction he is looking i can tell as certainly just where the throw is going as though i saw the ball if he stands in front of the line i run back of him and if he is in back of the line i slide in front in every case and whether i go in head or feet foremost i throw my body away from the baseman so as to give him the least possible surface to touch with the ball there is an advantage in sliding head foremost in that the runner by falling forward gains the length of his body and the reach of his arm whereas in sliding feet foremost he loses this but if one always goes in head foremost the baseman knowing what to expect and standing in no fear of injury will block the baseline it seems necessary to occasionally throw the spikes in first in order to retain one's right to the line and command a proper respect from opposing basemen. In order that the runner may not be continually cut and bruised by gravel or rough ground, he should protect his hips and knees by pads. Some have the padding stitched into the inside of their pants, and for the knees this is the better plan, though it interferes somewhat with the washing of the uniform but for the hips i prefer separate pads which may be bought at any store for the sale of baseball goods the best make is buttoned to a strap which hinds tightly to the lower portion of the body and this latter feature is itself of great advantage not only as a matter of comfort and safety but also for the sake of decency every player should wear one of these straps the same as athletes do in other branches of sport but after all the most important factors in successful base running are yet to be spoken of and the foregoing points are merely mechanical aids there is no other department of play in which intelligence plays so important a part and no matter how clever the player as a starter runner or slider these faculties will be of little value unless directed by a quick perception and sound judgment indeed they will often serve only as traps to lead him into difficulty by its very nature a quick perception is an inborn faculty of the mind and while it may be developed by constant use no amount of coaching can create it there are some players who are no more capable of becoming good base runners than of living under water so unfitted are they by nature the power of grasping a situation and acting upon it at once is something which cannot be taught in order however to know when a fair opportunity presents itself the runner must be familiar with the chances of play and this comes only from experience and close observation 
A runner who is thoroughly alive to all of the possibilities of the game will see a chance and gain a point where another of less ready perception would find no opening. The former has learned to marshal at a glance all the attendant probabilities and possibilities and to estimate in the same instance the chances of success or failure. It is not, however, always best to accept an opportunity when presented, even where the chances of success are largely in the runner's favor. The stages of the game must be taken into consideration, and what may be a perfectly commendable play in one situation may be altogether reckless and foolhardy in another. Therefore, the most important faculty of all, the pendulum which regulates and the rudder which guides, is judgment. An illustration may make my meaning clear. In the ninth inning, with a runner on first base and the score a tie, it may be a good play for the runner to attempt to steal second, because from there a single hit may send him home. But suppose that, instead of the score being a tie, the side at bat is four or five runs behind. Of what possible use will the steal be now, even if successful? One run will do no good, and the only chance of victory is in the following batters also getting around the bases. But hits or errors by which this must be accomplished will also send the first runner home without a steal, so that in attempting to steal he takes a chance which is of no advantage if successful, and perhaps a fatal mistake if not. Again, suppose there is a runner on third and none out, and the batter hits a short fly to the outfield, on the catch of which it is doubtful whether the runner can score. If the next batter is a good hitter, he will not make the attempt, trusting to the next hit for a better chance. But if the batter is weak and not likely to offer as good a chance, he may decide to try for the run on the small chance already presented. These are only given as examples, and they might be multiplied, because the same problem will always present itself in a more or less imperative form every time the runner has a play to make. The question he must decide is, is this the best play everything considered? It goes without saying that he must answer this for himself. In conclusion, I will describe some plays that may arise and venture some observations running through which the reader may discern the general principles of base running. There is an element in baseball which is neither skill nor chance, and yet is a most important factor of success. It is the unseen influence that wins in the face of the greatest odds. It is the element, the presence of which in a team is often called luck, and its absence a lack of nerve. It is sometimes spoken of as young blood, because the younger players, as a general rule, are more susceptible to its influence. Its real name is enthusiasm, and it is the factor in the influence of which is to be found the true explanation of the curious standing of some clubs. Between two teams of equal or unequal strength, the more enthusiastic will generally win. The field work may be slow and steady, but the at-bat and on the bases there must be dash and vim. If, for example, it be found that a catcher is a poor thrower or a pitcher slow in his movements, every fair runner reaching first should immediately attempt to steal second and even third. This style of play will demoralize an opposing team quicker than anything else, and even if unsuccessful at first, and the first few runners be caught, it should still be kept up for a couple of innings because it will, at least, affect the nerves of some of the opposing players, and if a break does come, the victory will be an easy one. Every batter should be ready to take his place quickly at the bat, and hit at the first good ball, 
every runner should be on the move and with plenty of coaching and everybody full of enthusiasm it is only necessary to get the run getting started in order to have it go right along this is the game that is winning in baseball today as every observant spectator knows base running begins the moment the ball is hit there are some players who don't know how to drop their bats and get away from the plate some stand until they see whether it is hit safe and they run to first with the head twisted around to watch the ball the instant the ball is hit no matter where it goes the batter should drop the bat and start for the base leaving the ball to take care of itself he should put down his head and run looking neither to the right nor the left every foot gained may be of vital importance for in most cases the runner is thrown out by the distance of only a few feet some runners make a mistake in jumping for the base with the last step it not only loses time but makes the decision so plain to the umpire that the runner fails to receive his fair share of benefit from close plays a runner to first on a base hit or fly to the outfield should always turn to first base and lead well down towards second so that if the ball is fumbled or handled slowly or missed he may be able to reach second and by hurrying the outfielder he increases the probability of an error a runner should always run at the top of his speed except in the single case where he feels himself to be clearly within reach of his base and then slackens up in order to draw the throw at no other time is there anything to be gained by slow running and often there is much to be lost in the game spoken of elsewhere in this book between providence and chicago which virtually decided the championship for eighteen eighty two hines was on first when joe start hit what looked like a home run over the center field fence the wind caught the ball and held it back so that it struck the top of the netting and fell back into the field hines thinking the hit perfectly safe was jogging around the bases when the ball was returned to the infield start had run fast and overtaken hines and the result was that instead of a run scored a man on third and no one out both runners were put out and we lost the game by one run and the championship by that one game a player has no right to think this or that his sole duty is to run hard until the play is over when a runner is on first and a hit is made he should run fast to second and if possible force the throw to third every such throw offers an opportunity for error and the more of these the runner can force the more chances there will be in his favor but by getting quickly to second he is in a position to go to on to third if the ball is fumbled or slowly handled or returned to the wrong point on the infield so too a runner on second when a hit is made should always force the throw to the home plate even if he does not intend to try for the run in order to do this he must run hard to third and turn the base as though he really meant to go home any hesitation or looking around will fail of the object the throw home gives the player who hit the ball a chance to reach second base in a game where there is plenty of hitting runners should obviously take fewer chances than where the hitting is light it is usually advisable for a good runner who has at least reached first with two men out to attempt to steal second because then one hit will likely bring him home whereas if he stays on first it will require two hits or two errors in succession and these are not likely to come with two men already out the only times to steal third are first when there is only one out for then a hit a sacrifice or a long fly will score the run if there is no one out the chances are that a runner on second will eventually score anyhow and if there are two out there is little advantage gained by stealing third 
it still requires a hit or an error to score the run, and the same would probably score it from second as easily as from third. Second, it may sometimes be advisable for a runner on second base to steal third even when there are two out, provided there is also a runner on first. Because, if successful, the runner on first also gets to second and the result is two stolen bases from the one chance, and a hit will now likely score two runs instead of one. When there is a runner on second or third with no more than one out, and the batter makes what is apparently a long safe hit, the runner should hold the base until he has seen, beyond a doubt, that the hit is safe. If safe, he will still have ample time to reach home, while, if by chance it be caught, he will nevertheless get third or home, as the case may be. A couple of seasons back, a New York runner was on third with no one out when the batter made what looked like a home run hit. The runner on third, instead of waiting to make sure, started home. The ball was caught and, though he managed to return to third, he did not score, as he otherwise might easily have done. The next two batters went out, the score was left a tie, and we finally lost an important game. Succeeding base runners should have private signals so that they may communicate their intentions without apprising the opposing players. A runner on first who intends to steal second should inform the batter so that the batter may hit the ball or at least strike at it. A runner on second should notify a runner on first of his intention to steal third so that the other may at the same time steal second. When there are runners on first and third, each should understand perfectly what the other proposes doing so that they can help one another with the play. In such a situation, the runner on first will generally attempt to steal second, and if the catcher throws down to catch him, there are several things which the runner on third may do. First, as soon as he sees the throw to second, he may start for home, and if he has previously decided to do this, he should take plenty of ground in front of third base. Second, he may not start for home on the throw, but if the runner from first gets caught between first and second, it will then be necessary for him to try to score. For this purpose, he carefully takes as much ground from third as possible, while the other player is being chased backward and forward. Finally, when the ball is tossed by the second baseman to the first baseman, he makes a dash for home. The idea of waiting until the ball is thrown to the first baseman is because the latter has his back to the plate and not only cannot see the play so well, but must turn around to throw. Third, if the circumstances are such that he thinks best not to try to score on the throw, he should, at least on seeing the throw to second, make a strong feint in order to draw the second baseman in and allow the runner from first to reach second. There is a pretty play by which one run may be scored where there are runners on first and second. It is, however, a desperate chance and should only be resorted to in an extremity. The runner on first leads off the base so far as to draw the throw from the catcher and, seeing the throw, the runner on second goes to third. Then, while the first runner is playing between first and second, the runner now on third scores as described in the preceding play, waiting until the ball is passed to the first baseman. If the second baseman is a poor thrower, it may be best to make the dash for home when the ball is thrown to him. A runner on second may receive a signal from the batsman that the latter intends to try a bunt, in which case the runner will try to steal third. If the bunt is made, the runner reaches third, but if the bunt does not succeed, the attempt draws the third baseman in close and leaves the base uncovered for the runner. 
Without particularizing further, it will be seen that a base runner must not only have some wits, but he must have them always with him. Exactly the same combinations never come up, new ones are continually being presented, and in every case he must decide for himself what is best. In view of all the circumstances, he makes a quick mental estimate of the chances and acts accordingly. Sometimes fortune will be against him, but if his judgment is sound, he is sure to be successful in the majority of attempts. End of chapter 13